0: Scripture reading this morning comes from Haggai, chapter 2. We are finishing up uh, this, this short book this morning, and we are going to read verses 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. And to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. And overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down. Every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant. The son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. May God bless the reading of His Word. You know, this morning we were looking at the fourth and final message of Haggai the prophet. This is the fourth message God gave Haggai to deliver to the people there in Jerusalem. And what's interesting about the fourth message is that God gave it to Haggai on the same day that he gave him the third message. And so he he has a double dose there. Uh, Verse 20 we just read says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So this is the second time God comes to Haggai on the same day. uh, Which is to say, they, they both came on that same day. Now I'm not sure if Haggai delivered these messages back to back or if he spread them out some. I'm not real sure. But what we do know is that the third message was given to all the people and the fourth message was specifically directed to Zerubbabel. We see in verse 21 where God tells Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. And so think of it like this. This message is similar to the one that the President of the United States recently sent to the President of North Korea canceling the face-to-face meeting they were supposed to have next month. You know, the, the message that... The president sent to the president of North Korea was directed to the president of North Korea. However, the significance of the message reached to all of the citizens. And in a similar way, the fourth message of Haggai is directed to Zerubbabel, the governor. But the meaning is meant to be understood by all the people of God there in Jerusalem and today, which is, I believe, why it was recorded and passed down throughout the centuries. And there are basically two parts to this message to Zerubbabel. The first part is about the coming of a kingdom. And the second part is about the coming of a king. And so let's look at the first part of the message found in verses 21 and 22. God says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. Now, if if you were hearing this message in Haggai's day, uh, even even the most ignorant, military-minded person in Jerusalem would have understood that God is saying that he's about to do something big. You know, whenever the heavens and the earth shake, something big is happening. I mean, you see what's happening down in Hawaii as the earth begins to shake and split open and the... You know, something major is happening there on that little island. Well, if all the heavens and the earth begin to shake, you know God is doing something big. And that something big was that God was saying that He was going to overthrow the kingdoms of the world and establish a new kingdom, establish His kingdom. And the fulfillment of that promise would be what the people began to anticipate from that day forward. So the people in Haggai's day, they heard this, that God was going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to bring about this new kingdom. And so they were looking forward to this new kingdom. A kingdom even greater than David's kingdom that they had read about. A kingdom in which the sun would never set. And as we know, they never saw the fulfillment of that promise. You know, kingdoms came and went as they waited. And they waited by faith, you know, faith is, is believing a promise before it is fulfilled. So God gave this promise, they believed it, they had faith that God was going to do it, and they waited to see when it would take place. They had faith that God would fulfill this promise, and so they waited. And this, this faith-fueled waiting is a characteristic of God's people. Right, it's, a, it's been a characteristic of God's people all throughout history. We, we wait on the Lord. We are full of faith and we wait on the Lord to fulfill His promises. Just think back over the Scripture. Your God told Adam and Eve, He says to, to Adam and Eve, that the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3. And so Adam and Eve... Uh, as they have children and their children have children, I mean, they're thinking, okay, when is this one coming that will crush the head of the serpent? And they waited and they looked to the fulfillment of this, but they never saw it. And so they died waiting in faith. God told Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham waited. He waited in faith to see how God was going to bring this about. And he just caught a small little glimpse of it when God gave him a son. But he, he, he only caught just a small tiny glimpse of the greatness of what God was going to do. And so he waited in faith and he died waiting. God told David that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And that his descendants would sit on the throne of that kingdom. And David saw his kingdom expand, and he saw his son Solomon sit on the throne. But he too died in faith, not seeing how God was going to ultimately bring this about and fulfill his promise. Now Zerubbabel and the people there in Jerusalem received this fourth message from God. And the message is of a promise of a coming kingdom. And yet they too died in faith, waiting for God to shape the heavens and the earth. Now, what about us? You know, we're further down the road on the highway of redemptive history. But yet we find ourselves waiting as well, don't we? Waiting in faith. Kingdoms are still coming and going as we wait for God to bring about His kingdom in its fullness. Now, we know that God did something substantial through Jesus. Right? We know that. That was a a huge climax in redemptive history you know jesus taught when he was teaching in his ministry he taught that the kingdom of god was at hand and so we knew god was doing something major through the life and death and resurrection of jesus and we even read that the heavens and the earth shook when jesus died on the cross where he bore our sins on his body on that cross and defeated sin and death through his resurrection and the disciples that were witnessing this, they knew Old Testament history. I mean, they knew the promises to Adam and Eve, and to Abraham, and to David, and to Zerubbabel. They knew these promises, and that God was going to bring about this coming kingdom. And so, after Jesus died on the cross, and he was raised from the dead, the disciples come to him. In Acts chapter 1, we see this recorded. In verse. 6 of Acts 1, we read, So when they had come together, this is after Jesus had risen from the dead, the disciples come to Him, and they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, they were thinking back to this message of Haggai, to Zerubbabel, where where God's going to shake the heavens and the earth, He's going to bring about this new kingdom. And so, even the disciples in Jesus' day, they're thinking, okay, Jesus... You're the Messiah, you're the King. When are you going to bring about this kingdom? And then he says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so what we see in Jesus is that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. He brought it in to a degree. But we're still waiting for the final phase, so to speak. The the consummation of this kingdom. For this kingdom to come in its fullness. And what this means is that because of what Christ has accomplished, those of us who have faith in Christ, we can experience aspects of that kingdom now, but we're still waiting on other aspects to come in their fullness. For example, you know, Jesus tells us that if you place your faith in Him, if you have faith in Christ, that God will be with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we know God's presence is with His people, which is a characteristic of the kingdom of God, that God dwells with His people. And so we see that as true even now, that we can experience that even now, that God is with those who have faith in Christ. We also can experience kingdom relationships. I mean, we can experience relationships with other believers in Christ, which is a characteristic of the kingdom. And we know God's kingdom is characterized by love, goodness, and righteousness. And we know that we can experience and display those characteristics to some degree now. We can do that now. And so in a sense, we can see those aspects of the kingdom being fleshed out even among us today. But at the same time, We're waiting until the day when God once again shakes the heavens and the earth and Jesus makes all things new. Watch, I think we'd all agree that hasn't happened yet. I mean, all things are not new. I mean, we still live in a broken world and we're anticipating the coming of Christ again. And so when Jesus returns, the Bible tells us that he will overthrow the kingdoms of the world. And the kingdom of God will be fully established. So when that happens, then the promise that we find in Haggai chapter 2 will be completely fulfilled. But until then, we wait. But we wait in faith. And until then, we, we seek to live out God's kingdom ethic and invite others into God's kingdom through faith in Christ. So this is the first part of the message that we are waiting, just like they were waiting, we are waiting for a coming kingdom. The second part of the message that God gives Zerubbabel is about a coming king. Look at verse 23. God says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now you may be saying to yourself, okay, God is going to make Zerubbabel a signet ring. And you may be thinking, I like jewelry and all, but what does that mean? (laughs) You're going to make him a ring, that's great. Uh, Well, there's two things you need to know about a signet ring for this to, uh, to make sense. The first thing is you need to know what a signet ring is. And a signet ring is like a signature, as you would think about a signature today. You know, a king would wear a ring. It wouldn't have to be a king, but let's just say a king, for example, would wear a ring. We see this exa- these examples in Scripture where a king would have a ring. And on the ring, there would be a specific design on that ring. And so let's say the king wanted to send an official document. He would have the document drafted and he would seal it with a, some softened wax. And then he'd take his ring and he'd press it down into the wax. And then he'd pull it out and he would allow the wax to harden. And so you'd have a document with this seal of the signet ring. And as that document was delivered, you knew that this was an official document of the king. Because it has his sign on it. It has his signature, so to speak. The sign of his ring. And so this unbroken seal guaranteed that this document was from the king. The mark of the ring carried the authority of the king. And so God's telling Zerubbabel, by telling him, I'm going to make you like a signet ring, God's telling Zerubbabel that he was marking Zerubbabel for a special purpose. The second thing you need to understand about this ring is the significance and in order to understand the significance of what Haggai is saying, why he's using that language of a signet ring, we have to look back. We have to look back, first of all, to God's promise to David in 2 Samuel seven sixteen. This is what God tells David. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me forever. Your throne shall be established Forever. Now, God is promising David that David's descendants, or David's descendant, will be the king of the kingdom of God. And so the descendants of David will reign, and ultimately they will sit, or he will sit, on the throne of this eternal kingdom. But if you know the history of Israel, then you know all of David's descendants... Did not follow the Lord, right? And it got pretty bad uh, there uh, in many in of his descendants. They just didn't seek the Lord. And it got so bad that the prophet Jeremiah delivered this shocking message from the Lord recorded in Jeremiah 22, verses 24 and 25. And this is the message, I believe, that the people in Jerusalem, had, were, it was fresh on their minds when they were coming back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This message was fresh on their minds and so when Haggai gives that message to Zerubbabel about God making him a signet ring, it is not lost on them the significance. So listen to Jeremiah's message. This message I know that was still fresh on their minds in Haggai's day. Jeremiah 22 verse 24 and 25. As I live declares the Lord, though Keniah the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah Were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life. Into the hand of those of whom you are afraid. Even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the the hand of the Chaldeans. And this is exactly what happened. The signet ring was torn off. The people of God were disciplined. They were put in exile. They were taken out of the land. And the throne of David sat empty while the people of God were in exile. And then several years later, and this is where we pick it up in the book of Haggai, the people of God returned to Jerusalem and they began to rebuild the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel who was a descendant of David. And God tells Zerubbabel through the prophet Haggai, that he will make Zerubbabel his signet ring. And so what God is doing is he is reaffirming his promise that he made to David, that David will have a descendant that will sit on the throne of the kingdom of God. And this is the significance of the signet ring. This reaffirmation of the covenant had to be a great encouragement to both you know, Zerubbabel and, And to the people of God. Because they had been disciplined. They had been taken into exile. And now they're coming back. And now they hear that God is reassuring them that He is not done with them. That God's plan is still moving forward. And that the throne of David is alive and well. And yet, at the same time, Zerubbabel was only able to see a small glimpse of what God was going to do. Because Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem... And Jerusalem at that time was probably maybe, maybe twice the size of North Augusta. <laughs> so twice the size of North Augusta. And God saying, I'm going to make, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to overthrow every kingdom. And you, Zerubbabel, are going to be my signet ring. Well, you're sitting over there in North Augusta thinking, wow, this is going to be interesting to see how this is going to take place. I'm I'm overseeing North Augusta. Now I'm going to sit on the throne of the world. Uh, That's going to be, how fast is that going to happen? (laughs) And so Zerubbabel, though, he gets his promise and he only catches a glimpse, though, of, of what God was going to do in and through him. Because what God was doing was not just highlighting Zerubbabel, but what he's doing is reaffirming the promise to David picking up that signet ring language, reaffirming the people, telling telling them, I'm not done with you. I'm going to fulfill my promise. A descendant of David will sit on the throne when the kingdom comes. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. You know, the first chapter of Matthew, as you're turning there, the first chapter of Matthew... Is one that you usually skim over until you get to about verse 18 where it talks about the birth of Jesus. Uh, but the first 17 verses you kind of fly through uh, because there's just a bunch of names. You know, it's the genealogy of Jesus. You know, genealogies. You ever read the book of Numbers? There's a reason why it's called the book of Numbers, Is because there's just a number of names, there's a lot of names. And so, Matthew chapter 1 is kind of like that. It's a genealogy. You kind of scroll through it. And you kind of fast forward till you get to verse 18. You know, the good part. The birth of Jesus. But before we get to verse 18, you do encounter this genealogy. And I want you just to look at, for example, uh, verses 12 through 16. And listen to what Matthew records. He says, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, And Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matin, and Matin, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. See, what God promised David and later promised Zerubbabel is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Listen to Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 33. This is just prior to Jesus being born and conceived. And this is what the angel tells Mary. He says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So did you catch that? The angel tells Mary that the Lord God... Would give Jesus a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to David and Zerubbabel. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And so, what we see here is God's plan for redemption of mankind and the restoration of the world is in motion, even now. It's in motion and in its, it is in its final stage. The King has come. Christ has come. And has inaugurated the kingdom of God. And now as the people of God, we are awaiting His return when He will shake the heavens and the earth and bring about the renewal of all things. That's where we are. We are waiting in faith. In Haggai's day, in Haggai's day they were waiting in faith. And they were obeying the king. They were rebuilding the temple. And they sought to represent God to the nations. They were seeking God's kingdom. And today, what are we doing? Or what should we be doing? Well, we wait in faith. We wait in faith and we obey the king. As we seek to take the good news of the kingdom, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. And so let me ask you this question. Whose kingdom are you serving? Whose kingdom are you about? I mean, what what are you seeking? You know, Jesus said in Matthew six, thirty three, that today we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to us. And so where where is your hope this morning? What are you seeking? What are you banking on? What is, what is your vision for humanity and the world? And what are you clinging to for your hope? Now, is your hope in the promises of man? Or in the promises of God? Now, do you believe that Jesus is the signet ring of God? I mean, do you believe that in Jesus the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form? Or I mean, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross so that your sin may be forgiven, so that you can enter the kingdom of God? Do you believe that through his resurrection, that sin and death were defeated, so that we can gain new life? Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? And that when he does, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And do you believe that when Jesus comes, that he will make all things new and make all things right? That's God's message to us. That's the promise. And so while we wait in faith, we seek to obey King Jesus and share Him with the world. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this short book of Haggai, these four messages that You spoke to the people many centuries ago. But as we read them, we are reminded of Your faithfulness, We were reminded of your goodness. We were reminded of uh, your promises and how you fulfill your promises and how you have uh, fulfilled these promises to the people and to Zerubbabel through the person of Jesus. And Lord, now as we wait for the coming of your kingdom in its fullness, Lord, help us to wait in faith. Help us to believe your word. Help us to believe your promises. And help us to take the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom to the world so that more and more people will come to know Jesus as their Savior and their King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.